0: Entering the Freedom Hut.
1: Why we fight for election answers. Trump to sign a vaccine executive order. How Democrats bend the knee to China and China continues to spy on us. And does anyone actually get COVID at the gym?
0: Buck Sexton. permission decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One call. Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great America. This is The Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. I think
1: I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime.
0: It is Buck Sexton.
1: Now. Welcome, friends, to The Buck Sexton Show. I know that they're trying to just run out the clock at this point. I know that the hope of so many Democrats, so many people on the left, is that we will buckle. We'll give in, give up. But as I've been saying to you this week... It should be clear to all of us that this has to be fought to the end. We have to continue to push because we need to know that what we're seeing with these results, that the end status of all this is the best that we could possibly do under the circumstances. Now, what do I mean by that? Let's remember that the same people right now who are telling you that it is a grave and mortal threat to the system the same people who are claiming that asking for recounts and bringing legal challenges are undermining and destroying our system. They're the ones who used cynically COVID as an opportunity to change our election in an election year in ways that they knew would advantage them. Democrats understood that election fraud is traditionally their thing. It's an area where they excel. And so if they remove the protections, if they remove the procedural hurdles to fraud, to irregularities, it would help them. That was why they were so set on it. Right. That was why they believed so strongly in the need to protect everybody from the the danger of in-person voting. There was no danger of in-person voting. There was an election in Wisconsin at the height of the pandemic in the spring. And they couldn't trace any major spread to it whatsoever. And keep in mind, we just had this election where there was so much mail-in voting. And now we see the virus is rampaging across the country. Huge numbers of people getting infected. We're really to believe that it was that one day. it It was election day where everything had to change. But you can't do violence to the rule of law. You can't undermine the rule of law itself while claiming to be a protector of it. And that's exactly what Democrats are doing. They decide that this is not a year where the rules really apply. And then they turn around and say, obey the rules. This is why the challenge in Pennsylvania is so important. There is no constitutional basis or authority for what was done in Pennsylvania. That much is clear. What's not clear is whether the judicial branch We'll have enough people who still believe in the rule of law and the Constitution who are involved in reviewing that decision to say, sorry, there are procedures. It's not like if they were unable to certify the Pennsylvania vote as it currently stands, the country would be thrown into chaos and we can't know who the president is. No, there is a process that kicks in. The founders thought all of this through. There will be a president. We don't have to worry about that. What we do have to worry about is that we're just sitting around and watching a steal happen before our eyes without even really knowing if we took it all the way and if we're able to at least show, at least force them to look you in the eyes and say, "Okay, yeah, so we broke some laws, so we we negated the Constitution in Pennsylvania and and changed the way that vote counts were done and who knows how many other places across the country, all because of covid. Um, we did all that and tough. You know, we, we managed the steal. I at least want to have the full facts. I at least want us to know as much as we possibly can about what they did, how they accomplished it. It's about this election and it's about the next election, which may well involve. Someone that I know you all support for president running again. Right? I mean, if Joe Biden can run for president pretty much continuously since the day I was born, uh, then I think it's fair to say that Joe Biden uh, proves that you don't have to you don't have to win every competition to still end up being the president. Maybe again. But all these things that we're seeing happening right now, the big tech censorship the efforts by the media to just shut down all discussion about this election. The fix has been in. The fix has been in. Is it even really possible to say that this is an entirely free and fair election at this point? You might be able to say that you were able to freely vote for who you want, and maybe they didn't change vote tallies or anything like that. Fine. But fair? They changed the rules of the game while the game was happening in ways that they knew would help one side. And they went around the established processes for that. And these are people who have the left and the Democrats abuse process at every stage of the game. They abused the process of the Department of Justice and of our law enforcement agencies to mount what is still the most grotesque political scandal of my lifetime. The usage of FISA and FBI informants to target a president and a presidential campaign as though they were spies, uh, agents of a foreign power, working for an adversary, which no intelligent person could have really believed, but what we found out is that we have both liars and idiots at the top level of the Obama-era FBI, DOJ, intelligence community, the CIA. And then they did an impeachment the most laughably inept, absurd impeachment in my lifetime. They tried to impeach a president over a phone call where no law was broken and no action was taken, but Nancy Pelosi went with it anyway. And remember all those long speeches they gave on the, on the floor of Congress? Oh, we need to get rid of this president. It's about the Constitution. You know, they all started crying like Cory Booker, you know, whenever he speaks about the Constitution. It's about the Constitution. You have to get rid of this president because the Constitution. No, that's, that's not true. That's not what is happening. It wasn't a, a real review, a real recitation of the facts in that instance. But now here we are. We're being told, oh, it's all a sacred process, you see. When it advantages them, when they think it's on their side, it's obey the rules. When the rules are in their way, they change them and they look at us and say what are you going to do about it. So that's really the question we're answering right now. It definitely seems to all of us that this election was not on the up and up, that there were there were irregularities, that is already proven, and there's certainly a ton of evidence because that's what a sworn affidavit is of fraud and fraudulent behaviors. They certainly opened the doors as wide as they possibly could to fraud. And now we're trying to find out what really happened and they don't want that to occur. They're already saying you must call him President-elect Biden. Well, no, they actually got ahead of the process with that. The Electoral College has not met. We we don't have to call him. I don't care what CNN says. We don't have to call him President-elect Biden. Once the Electoral College meets, once those votes are cast, once the Congress certifies, yeah, then we've got a president, President President-elect, and he's getting sworn in. That's how it happens. It's not because they... Say so. But when you add all of this together, the change in the rules, the social media suppression, the lies Nancy Pelosi and others told about Trump defunding the post office, the way that they created this unbelievable excess panic around the Trump administration's response to COVID-19, the shutting down of schools, Pelosi preventing aid from getting to people during this period who need and deserve it because immiserating the American people advantaged the Democrats in this election cycle. Those are the people? That's the party that's going to lecture us now on norms and protecting our sacred democracy? I don't think so. I'm still not interested at all in lectures about protecting our system from the liars who pretended Trump was a Russian asset who betrayed America, from the liars who pretended Trump needed to be impeached over a legitimate phone call with the Ukrainian president, From the liars who acted like Trump was running some scheme to destroy the post office. These people are nuts. There is a and unfortunately a sly, a conniving lunacy to all of this where they will say and do anything to achieve power. And I cannot I cannot mislead you. They may be successful in this election process. But when you look at what's really happened here, when you see and add it all together, it's a reminder That even if we lose this fight, we continue in this fight until we can't anymore. That is our mission from now until we find out if it is four more years or president-elect Biden. The day is not yet here, and we will continue to follow this at every step. The Supreme Court may take up this Pennsylvania challenge. All it takes is one lawsuit in one of these states to finally break through the wall of this absurd election and everything else feels like it will start to fall into place after
0: that. We'll see, but we fight either way. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. This Georgia
1: Secretary of State Raffensperger You know, this is when you see that at this at the state level you get in in politics, including plenty of Republicans. You just get clowns. You get people that are you you wonder, how do they get this job? Here, Here he is making sure that we know or we're supposed to know that there's nothing to see here. Stop asking questions about Georgia. And for anybody who's watching what's happening, it can't really increase your confidence level in this upcoming runoff election. Here's Raffensperger, play four.
2: It's been a long 34 days since the election on November 3rd. We have now counted legally cast ballots three times, and the results remain unchanged. As Secretary of State, I have worked to secure the vote for all Georgians. On day one, we outlawed ballot harvesting. We strengthened signature match through the GBI training and moved towards an audible paper ballot system. I am the first secretary of state to implement a driver's license requirement for online absentee ballot applications, which strengthen the security of our absentee ballot process.
1: So he's telling you there's nothing to see. Oh, okay. I guess we're all supposed to go away. You know who I, I trust to be a fighter and to be an honest guy in this? You know who I remember sitting down with and doing interviews on Capitol Hill about how Russia collusion was a farce and a lie, and we had to get to the bottom of it. That was before everybody knew all the stuff about Strzok and Page. And you know who was in that fight? Jim Jordan of Ohio, among others. Uh, Devin Nunes. No one's ever apologized to Congressman Devin Nunes for being right on all the Russia collusion hoax garbage. No one said they said he should lose his committee assignments. He should he should be, you know, drummed out. He should be kicked out of, of Congress for being right. Just like how Facebook and Twitter, these social media sites, they're they're throttling me now for being right on covid. What I say ends up happening. What what Dr. Fauci tells you is garbage. Just give it just give it four weeks and you'll see it's absolute nonsense. Well, here's Jim Jordan, though. So so we're told by Raffensperger of Georgia. Nothing to see here. Here's Jim Jordan saying um, there's something I want to see play three.
3: We had a staffer, I've said this many times, we had a staffer who works for our office and for the Judiciary Committee, who at her apartment, she got her ballot, four other ballots were mailed to her apartment, That were people who didn't live there. That is a recipe for disaster. And all we're asking now is why won't some of these? Why won't Governor Kemp in Georgia, for
4: example, let us recheck the signatures and actually find out the rejection rate that that Mr. Starr was
3: talking about early? It was it was next to nothing this election when you got 41 percent of the electorate sending a mail in ballot in That, that, that defies any type of common sense. Does anyone want to offer an
1: explanation for that? These are facts. Now, now we're talking facts. Jim Jordan's bringing this up. You had almost 40 percent of the electorate do mail in balloting in Georgia and you have a rejection rate of something like point zero three percent. It used to be more like two or three percent. So why is it that this year ballots that came in through the mail by a factor of, you know, a hundred were less likely to be rejected? Oh, it's because we got in in a pandemic with all the problems and changes and everything going on. All of a sudden, our our voting processes became much more streamlined and uh, and safeguarded. Does anyone believe that? Hmm. We're talking about a 13,000 vote margin difference. And and I want to be very clear, even if we only flip one state and it's not enough to change the actual election outcome, it's essential that we that we make sure we know if a state actually went red because the next time around, would Democrats say, there's no election fraud? We can say, really? You had an entire state in a presidential election that was determined initially by either irregularity and or fraud. All right? The precedent here matters. And the overall contest matters. I understand that. Now, I do have a frustration that these fights weren't more at the forefront of the minds of many GOP officials before this happened. I remember when I was in North Carolina in August giving a, giving a speech there to the Craven County Republicans, Craven County GOP. And the guy who came up after me, who was the, one, of their, one of their GOP um, reps, you know, state directors, whatever he was, I forget his title. He said, this election thing is, they're kicking the door wide open to fraud. He knew. Now, we did win in North Carolina, but it was close. But he knew what was going on. We needed to prepare more for it. You know, conservative media here, we were not ahead of this enough. Honestly, we have to do a little bit of introspection on this, too, because we needed to have challenges brought to some of these processes before the election. I understand, you know, hindsight is 2020, but this was seen by people that were paying close attention. But instead, you know, we're all All focused in on Hunter Biden for a while there. I don't mean to keep harping on that story, but I just, you know, I told you that's not it wasn't going to make any difference in the election. And it didn't make any difference in the election. And we we went after that with everything, everything conservative media had all the biggest guns, all the biggest platforms. I just think it was a strategic error. There were other issues that would have been more important. But anyway, Georgia, we have to know what happened in Georgia. We have to continue to get answers here and it does not make me feel any better when we have incompetent state officials saying just forget it leave it alone my friend Sean Parnell is leading the charge in Pennsylvania here he's running for a congressional seat but part of his lawsuit if it's taken up by the Supreme Court I know Ted Cruz has said that if he's able to do if the court takes it Ted Cruz has said he will give oral arguments in favor of the petitioner's case here but Sean may be part of pushing over that first big boulder of an illegitimate result in Pennsylvania. There's there's nothing crazy about this. We have laws. The laws are to be respected. And you cannot change laws in an election because you say so, because covid is so scary. That's not how the law works. Right? The same way you can't just shut down churches because you feel like it, because we have a First Amendment to the Constitution that guarantees a free exercise of religion. You cannot override the will of the Pennsylvania state legislature and say this is how we're doing the election this year. This is a matter of law. The same laws that we're following to determine the outcome of this process say that you can't change the process like they did in Pennsylvania. So we're not giving up that fight at all.
0: Thanks for listening to the Sex Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. It has been months since
1: there's been real federal aid to people who are economically devastated because of policies at the state and in some cases the federal level that have made it impossible for them to operate their businesses, have destroyed their uh, their financial prospects. And we haven't had any aid in months and we all know why. But you're going to see a, a, a massive gaslighting now. You're going to see people who will tell you, oh, don't don't pay any attention to what you know. Listen to us now. Here's what we know. Democrats refused to allow that money to allow that aid to get out to the American people because they were not the Republicans were not conceding to a Democrat wish list. That is what happened. That is the reality of what occurred and is continuing to occur. Nancy Pelosi, let them eat cake. Nancy Chardonnay socialist. I I care so much about the children and the poor people. That Nancy Pelosi, while she's in her literal mansion, I mean, an actual mansion in San Francisco, um, and and her $20,000 dual Viking freezers, eating her $14 a pint in a pint Jenny's ice cream. That Nancy Pelosi, who is using her authority as the most powerful Democrat in elected office still in the country to block you, if you have been affected by COVID economically, to block you from getting money the government owes you. This is not, and I think this is, everyone needs to be very clear on this. Anyone who's getting COVID relief funds the, through the PPP program, for example, and anyone who's getting paid because they don't they're out of a job because of covid. This isn't standing outside with your with your hat in your hand saying, hey, can anyone help me out? I've hit a rough patch. This is oh, the government has taken from me and now the government needs to not even make me whole, but at least give give a little help here. Right? This would be like saying the government, you know, you know, accidentally we bulldoze your house. We we're trying to build a bridge. OK, well, are you going to compensate me for this in some way? Nancy Pelosi says, no, sorry, bulldozed house guy. You're on your own, at least for now, at least until after the election, because miserable people will want to throw the bums out in charge. And the biggest guy in charge is Trump, as we know. It's not fair, but this is the game they played and Unfortunately, it has worked somewhat. Um, you have uh, Chris Cuomo. His brother uh, Andrew Cuomo is really a terrifying political figure at this point. I mean, not that I'm scared of him, but it's it's troubling to think that somebody could be as delusional and as thuggish as Andrew Cuomo is, the governor of New York. I mean, at least Gavin Newsom, you feel like you could always you could always buy him off with a you know a fancy bottle of champagne and some foie gras. You know what I mean? You you could always like. Get him to sit down with you and and talk to you. And if you were willing to play the game his way, he's very transactional. Right. Governor Cuomo seems to believe his own B.S. This guy's nuts and his brother is running effectively a propaganda show on behalf from New York. That's where CNN is is based out of, as you know, the headquarters in Atlanta is like a, a vestige of the past. It's really a New York operation. And he's running this propaganda operation for him and saying things meant to throw people off the truth here, which is that it's the Democrats' intransigence. It's, their, it's Nancy Pelosi's hostage-taking that has prevented aid from getting out to people. Here is, uh, here is Chris Cuomo talking about the people without food right now. Play seven.
5: Too many listened and wanted to believe that we were rounding the corner i told you then and you know it now trump lied this will be over by april trump lied magically vanished during the summer disappear after the election they won't even talk about it they all lied to you because they thought it would work for them and it is worse than ever especially since november and so is trump but i got to tell you the real onus is no longer on that guy he's never been in the driver's seat it's congress you you step up whenever we ask. I tell you, these people need help. There's a, there's a page. You can go. You can do it. You do it. You do it amazingly. You max people out. You go to the charity. You reach out. You send us stories. I don't have much, but I'll give what I can. Where is that in our leadership? Where is that in the people that we put there to do what we can't do?
1: Listen to all the, all the outrage, all the righteous indignation here from Bro Cuomo doesn't name. He says leadership. Who who are we talking about? Republicans put forward an agreement, a bill, a funding package. They're good to go. They're like, let's go. Here you go. Whatever. I I forget the exact number now. It's like $800 billion. Almost a trillion dollars. And Nancy Pelosi goes, no. Not enough. We want more. And remember, she wants more for things that don't have to do with COVID relief. So this, this is the classic slimy journo game it's the congress that's the problem here no no it's not it's the democrats in congress it's the democrat speaker of the house that is she is they are the reason that people are not getting checks in the mail and have not been since august notice how he says trump lied trump lied because you know he said it would go away at some point i mean look a lot of people said a lot. And he's going back to the beginning of the pandemic. Fauci said don't wear masks. So and he's a, a health expert. Fact. Fauci said don't wear masks. Don't ever forget that. They want you to forget. Don't ever forget that. Because now they're all, oh, but the science says the science says it's outrageous, outrageous. But he's talking about how things are worse than it's ever been. Yeah, and we've been listening to idiots like his brother who runs New York State because his last name is Cuomo and his dad was the governor before him. Nepotism is bad, folks. I said it. I even said it during the Trump administration. You know it. And a lot, very few people are willing to say that out loud. It was not, was not helpful to me. We can get into that another time. Not helpful. Some people in the Trump orbit, they hear that you say you don't like nepotism. And all of a sudden, you know, you're not on the Christmas list anymore. Just telling you. A lot of people, a lot of cowardice on that point. Well, nepotism, get ready for it if the Democrats come into power here with Biden. Oh, my gosh. You you think it was annoying to have Hillary care back in the 90s. Hillary Clinton, the first lady put in charge of your health care, of course, was a disaster. But you're going to have that and then some. And what are we going to say? It's bad when you do it. No, that's what what Democrats do is I don't like a thing that you do, but I'm allowed to do that thing. I refuse to be that person. I refuse to be that person. And that's also why I'm calling out here this uh, this big speech that Cuomo's giving, you know, while his brother is the governor of New York, it is Democrats who are preventing in the Congress who are preventing aid from getting to people. Republicans have already said, all right, we've got the aid number. Let's go. Wouldn't something be better than nothing? No, Pelosi's holding people are suffering. There's no need for people to suffer at the level they have been financially. But it helps Pelosi. It helps the Democrats. So they just continue this game and they have all these mouthpieces in the media and and we are in some ways more outgunned than ever now. You don't think that it's a, a coincidence, right, that in this election year with all these rule changes and the, oh, Biden is the president. Don't ask any questions. He's the president elect. Social media throttling right now, social media uh, shutting people down for wrong think. Is more aggressive and it's not I, since I talked to you about this yesterday in the show, I want to be very clear. I've been reaching out to other friends of mine and I haven't asked if I can use their names. A lot of people that, you know, in conservative media right now are having the same problem. Either about election related stuff or covid. So the two biggest issues of public policy in American politics right now. Are are, are the targets of unprecedented suppression campaigns. Right now, when it matters, you think it's an accident? Yeah, maybe in three months or six months, Facebook will stop throttling people like me who are raising questions about the covid lockdowns. Here's a very simple fact, friends. California has had months and months of preparation and, and patting themselves on the back. I'm talking about the leadership now, Newsom and others for what a great job they did, crushing the virus, flattening the curve. They can't flatten jack squat right now. Why? The people who are saying it is because we're not doing what we're told are are imbeciles who cannot observe what is going on around them. That is just that is a lie. There is no change. I'm here. The only day I'm going to be very clear. The only day where I saw people all of a sudden forget about distancing, forget about masks was Biden declaration of victory Saturday. That's when you and everybody dancing in the streets. Yay, Biden, everything's going to be better now. What's going to be better? We're going to sell out to China. We're going to bend the knee to the Chinese Communist Party. What exactly is going to be better when Joe Biden is in charge? Oh, we're going to have somebody who appoints a climate change czar. So many people both lack real meaning in their lives. Just going to say it. And and also just have no ability to think for themselves against the pressure of outside forces and people who fall into those two categories. They're if those two things are true about you, you're a leftist, you're a Democrat. It's just the way it is. But they continue to try to shut us down, prevent us from speaking. I won't I won't ever let it go that they were telling us even two, three years ago. There was no suppression of conservative ideas on social media. You remember that? Ah, that's right. Just the incrementalism. Okay, they kept saying it until we proved it a little more, a little more. It was a it was a conspiracy theory, according to left wing news sites, that there was any suppression of conservative ideas. Now, straight up, they're saying, yeah, no, we hired a bunch of libs to fact check you. And really what they're doing is putting missing context flags on your post so now now you you're not actually reaching your audience anymore. This is no different, understand? This is no different than if if Google started saying, "You know what? We really don't like the, your views. So we're just going to you think you're you're sending out to an email list, you know, your blog or your thoughts, whatever it may be, and it's actually just going into a trash bin somewhere. We're not we're not showing it to anybody." That's what they're doing. You say, "Well, hold on a second. I thought terms of service. I thought this was a business. I thought there were there was an agreement here. There was an implicit understanding. Yeah, well, too bad. Sorry. What, what are you going to do? That is the America we live in right now. We are in a fight on many fronts. I, I feel like people are, are losing a little bit of the fire in the belly right now on the right. We are in a fight on many fronts. Speech, freedom being suppressed and attacked by the social media companies, by these lockdowns. The, the left wants to just completely suppress further investigation of this election if they get their way i mean what are we doing here what, what do you think is going to be left if they can just steamroll us on all these issues we got to dig in
0: you're in the freedom hut this is the buck sexton show podcast
1: i was talking to you about all the different fights that we have underway right now there's one that i i think you need to be prepared for as well And this is not as high a priority as the others, but it factors into all of them. It's a part of all the other ones. Uh, And that is the complete rewriting of. Russia collusion by the people who did it, by the media who were entirely wrong on it. It'll it'll take time. It'll be a process. But they were all a bunch of liars and they destroyed objective journalism as a concept. It's a lie. It's a joke. It's not doesn't exist in this country. There is no industry. There can be people who are objective journalists. There is no industry of objective journalism. It does not exist. And I'm not even really sure that truly objective journalism exists, but there are good faith journalists. They do exist. But good faith journalism is is a joke. There is no such thing. But, you know, the old uh, aphorism. Is it an aphorism? Maxim, whatever. Uh, History is written by the victors. You'll hear people say this. History is written by the victors. They are going to if we have this Biden uh, administration coming into power, they're going to do everything that they can to completely whitewash and rewrite the history of this. Russia collusion. I mean the election of course for sure. It's all going to be crazy. Yeah, so there were 5,000 votes mistabulated in Michigan by a software glitch and yeah, they wouldn't let us do the signature match and yeah, they changed the they changed the election process in Pennsylvania in violation of the constitution. You know, all these things. But with all that, with all that, there'll at least be I think some some record of what really happened, but with Russia collusion it's going to be Soviet style, Soviet style whitewashing of, of history. They're going to completely change the whole thing. They're going to say, oh, you know, we, we just never really got to the bottom of it. That, that's how they'll they'll open the case back up when they feel like they're in a position. They've got the megaphone and we won't have the ability to have the DOJ step in and, and speak truth to people. The DOJ will be full at the top level and, and throughout. Let's be honest, a lot of lib lawyers who lie. That was a fun alliteration. A lot of lib lawyers who lie in the Department of Justice, regardless of the administration. Uh, but we won't have anybody who will step in and say, no, this new narrative about Russia collusion is nonsense. Uh, I can't believe we're bringing this back up. They will resurrect it and pretend like they were right all along. That's what I'm warning you about. I, and I know right now that seems like, come on, Buck. No. Yes, they will. You will start this. It'll be slow. And at first they'll come up against some resistance. But they will resurrect it. They will bring it back and they will say we were right all along with Russia collusion. We just haven't proven it yet. Now remember these are the same people who tell you that any questions about an election that was in an unprecedented pandemic with an incredible amount of changes and, and forced irregularities in the system. If you ask anything about that you're a conspiracy theorist. But if you decide that Years after the uh, the Russia collusion mess was shown to be the fraud that it is. Oh, we, we need a second look at this. That's what they'll do. You'll, you'll see you'll see this whole industry of people who are resurrecting that Trump was a Russian asset. I know right now it sounds so crazy that it, it can't it, it will happen. So this is also why social media giants crushing dissent online which is just they they are the greatest threat to free speech in america today they should be the greatest protectors of it but they're run by leftists they're run by libs they're owned by libs they are socially pressured you know the people that are in the in the actual rank and file of facebook and twitter they're all a bunch of uh, of urban libs you know coastal elites And they are the biggest threat to free speech and to a functioning society based along democratic norms that exists in America today. The
0: social media platforms. It's true. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. He is an entrepreneur, a
1: visionary, a seer, a man who's been in a lot of different games and knows how to play them. Our friend James Altucher is back, podcast host. Check out his latest uh, podcast whenever you can. James, appreciate you joining us, man.
3: Buck, once again, always happy to join the show.
1: So tell me this. What do you see happening going into this, what feels like it will be a long, cold winter of particularly small business discontent? What do you think?
3: You know, I think small businesses are in trouble you know during this pandemic during the lockdowns we've gotten addicted to amazon you get paid money and you instantly send it to seattle it no longer survives in your community it no longer usually money would circulate in the community and that's what makes communities prosperous it's it's the it's called the velocity of money in in economic terms but it's what makes communities prosperous is that people spend in their local stores That as that's that's a a trend that started 50 years ago that we started, you know, giving money to the big chains. But now it's firmly set where where we just send all of our money to Amazon. No questions asked. And that's going to have a a horrific effect on local communities.
1: So what do you think should be done? I do think the
3: opportunities for entrepreneurs.
1: Go oh, ahead. Go sorry, ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. You entrepreneurs. go. I ahead. do
3: think the opportunities for entrepreneurship, though, are, are going to be plentiful for for online entrepreneurs. Like more things moving online means more opportunities for entrepreneurship.
1: Is there anything that we could do that we're? I mean, obviously, there's the PPP program, which has stalled out since August. But, you know, how how can people either on their own or, or how could if the government was trying to be helpful, what, what could be done to help us adapt during this period? Because here's my concern. I'm already seeing all these posts about just beloved neighborhood businesses, restaurants, stores that are closing all over New York City. It's same, the same thing's happening out in Los Angeles. Same thing is going to be happening. You know, I think I think it hits the big cities first because they've been pretty, pretty extreme on the lockdowns. And, and now they're already they've already been in California lockdown for a few weeks. How, how can places try to you know, or or how could they be assisted in the adaptation, James, so that they could at least get through this very difficult period?
3: It's an interesting question because I think you have to think out of the box and nobody wants to do that. You have to make some tough choices. For instance, New York City owns 27 hospitals. Well, New York City is not in the hospital business, so they they – they provide good health care but they lose money on it every single year and new york city can no longer afford to lose money new york city's going to be about 100 billion dollars in the hole next year so you have to start considering things like should we sell the new york city hospital system for whatever 30 40 billion dollars and pay back a lot of new york city debt that would go a long way but it's a very unpopular choice we could sell the port authority in new york city we could start selling assets the other thing is uh, there's an idea I've been playing around with, which is let's put in place a negative sales tax, meaning instead of being charged money for shopping locally, which is what happens now, like you buy potato chips at the deli, you're charged an extra 6 or 7% sales tax. Let's give people money who shop locally. Maybe that's implemented with crypto or Bitcoin somehow. It, the implementation is not important. But if you if you shop locally, you should get extra money that it is only worth it's only has value if you use that extra money to sh- again shop locally that's why i suggest using another currency to implement this or some kind of let's call it new york city bucks so everybody gets new york city bucks when they shop at a local store a mom and pop store in new york city and maybe that's redeemable one for one for us dollars in 10 years so for 10 years you're encouraged to shop locally with these Uh, Again, I'll put it in quotes, uh, New York City Bucks, something like that, like creative out of the box solutions. You're not going to you're not going to solve things like they're doing now in New York City. You're not going to solve things by shutting down businesses. You're not going to solve things by raising taxes. Yesterday, yesterday, Goldman Sachs Asset Management uh, left for Palm Beach, Florida. And in the same article, I read 70 other financial firms left for other places and what does that mean? Some people might look at that and say, oh yeah, well, the wealthy should leave, good riddance. Well, they happen to be the ones who pay the taxes that afford the teachers, the trash collectors, the EMT healthcare workers, the transit workers, the police, the firemen, you know, all the services that New Yorkers have grown to depend on and love. That's, they, they, New York City pays for that via taxes. And right now, tourism taxes are down, property taxes are down. Income taxes are going to be a disaster in 2021. A half a million people have moved out of New York City in the past few months. So that's kind of the long and short of it.
1: Speaking of James Altucher, he's a podcaster, author, and and entrepreneur. And James, I know you're in New York City now. Do you get any sense that people this time around who uh, maybe are Let's just say they don't they don't share my politics. They're uh, they're people who are Democrats or more left wing. Do you think they're recognizing more or are you getting any sense that they're starting to see that the people in charge don't know what the hell they're doing and they can't actually fix this and we need to come up with other ideas?
3: Yes and no. I mean, I have yet to meet a single person who voted for uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio, who magically is finishing his second term in office. So somebody must have voted for him, but nobody will admit voting for him. And so uh, that's the yes. But the no is, uh, you know, everybody is, is, you know, has the exact same politics that they had before. They think that they're liberal and conscientious towards others. And yet, you know, in private, I find, I find New Yorkers to be very much against progressive ideas or creative ideas that will actually help the city that they live in, help the people in the city. You know, of course, The the, the virus is affecting a lot of policy decisions, but we have to remember that the virus and the economy are two different beasts, and you're going to, as you fight the virus more and more, depending on how draconian the policies get, you're going to risk ruining the economy and ruining the city in the long term, and that's and people don't seem to realize that. I, I think people with a certain kind of politics don't really seem to understand the importance of basic economics.
1: Yeah, I and and we're speaking to James Altucher, podcaster, author, and and host. Uh, James, I I think that if people understood that there are a lot of businesses that have already had a really bad year, that are way behind on their rent, that uh, and and have had to lay off employees. In some cases, I, I've read about and heard about places that have had to lay off employees multiple times already. So they've already had two rounds of sorry, everybody, go home. The first time they might have gotten PPP. Second time, they might not have had, you know, they might have had to get rid of half their staff or and if they're going to close indoor dining, for example, in New York, they've already closed it in Los Angeles. And this for for, you know, anyone anywhere else, this is coming to them, too. Well, what's going to because the pressure works in such a way that when one city gets more extreme, another city government, also usually Democrats in charge, are going to say, well, we don't want to be the ones who seem like we're reckless. Right. So Philly and Dallas and, you know, name a place. The only exception to this has been Florida. Uh, but anyway, I'll get to Florin in a second. It seems to me that people need to be made to understand that we don't have 90 days here of just sorry, your business is shut down because it's going to be much worse this time around than it even was the first time around because they're already hurt. They're already Absolutely. the business is already kind of wounded, if you will.
3: And and, and the issue is a lot of <clears throat> smart people don't seem to grasp what the common May, I shouldn't say come, but the main street person is dealing with, the, the, the bar owner. The rest, I own a bar in New York City. So the bar owner, the restaurant owner, this, the clothing store owner, these people are suffering. They, there are restaurants that have been in business for generations or stores that have been in business for generations that are now bankrupt, that are out of business. And it's only going to get many times worse during the winter months. With, with none of these stores and restaurants open. At least in the, in the late spring and in the summer, there was outdoor dining in places like New York City and LA, and restaurants survived barely because of that. By January 1st, it's estimated that up to 90% of the restaurants in New York City might shut down and be bankrupt for good. Not only that, the eviction moratorium is over on January 1st. One in four New Yorkers haven't paid rent since March. And again, this is not just New York City, this is many cities. But to your point about other cities, not uh, the first tier cities are in big trouble. They They've spent massively on providing great services to their citizens and all of that money is gone and those services are in trouble. But a lot of people now are fleeing the New York's and L.A.'s for Austin, Park City, Las Vegas, Miami, Denver, Phoenix, New Orleans, Nashville, so these second-tier cities, there's going to be a lot of opportunity both in real estate and entrepreneurship. Silicon Valley is a ghost town at the moment because, in part, it's moving to these other cities and it's dispersing, which is not a bad thing. It's it's about time this happens. This was long due, and it's just accelerating a trend that was already going to happen.
1: And you believe strongly uh, that the the virtual trend that we're seeing here. I mean, the the, the big question that I see from people. And I think it's an interesting argument is, one, will will travel return to a, in a way that it's close to at least what it was before, because there are some who say, well, people aren't going to be flying for meetings the same way because of Zoom calls. I think there's some truth to that there's all in person is still better and more. And I think it has more impact than than Zoom. If we're really going you to know, look at this, especially, you know, if you're going to ask somebody to give you one hundred thousand dollars for your startup or a million dollars for your startup. If you can be hand, you know, hand to hand in person, handshake, that that's still going to be better. Um, But also, I think there'll be an explosion of people that want to once the virus is finally there's vaccinations that want to travel, that want to get out there and do things. So there's that part of it. But then also, what does it mean for real estate, for commercial real estate, for places? You know, yeah, I think people are going to still want to have offices, but I think office space is going to be at much less of a premium. I think offices are going to be smaller by, you know, it's going to be more of a gathering space and less of a, you know, sock me into my cubicle. Right. I mean, how do you see that playing out? So so travel and offices.
3: Right. So travel. I agree with you better, better to be in person for, for meetings that are across the country. However, it's obviously not very productive to spend, you know, days of your life traveling from New York to L.A., say, and then traveling back just for one or two meetings. So what's going to happen is we are going to see probably about a, a 30 to 50% reduction in business travel. I'm absolutely convinced of this. Of course, I'm just predicting and you know, being a pundit here, but th- th- this is a natural thing that's going to happen. You said that people, uh, of course, enjoy and it's better for face-to-face. That's true, but it's not what companies are going to want. Companies are already used to saving the money of reduced travel and not that much of a reduction in productivity. There's been a lot of research on this the past few months there's there's a significant benefit in productivity happening right now and that's not going away and companies are going to be able to save costs like you said on real estate they're going to may, maybe many industries are going to switch to a hybrid model come in one or two days a week share your desk with somebody who's coming in the other one or two days a week and we can reduce office space now office-based architecture is gonna change as well. Desks are gonna be a little bit more spread out. There's gonna be no more open area uh, floor plans. There's gonna be more cubicles and offices now because protection from future viruses and pandemics. Like Just because this virus is over, we're now aware that viruses and flus and pandemics exist, just like Asia's been aware for the past couple of decades. So that's gonna significantly change. And let's not forget, once again, Bandwidth has changed for the first time ever for one of these catastrophes. Bandwidth is now good enough, 10 times faster than it was in 2009. Bandwidth is good enough for you and I to have as many meetings as we want at high quality bandwidth, 4D for, for screens, so uh, 4K screens. So, uh, I see remote is 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 here to stay. It might not be to the level it is now, but you're not going to see 100% full buildings. You're not going to see uh, air travel the way it was. It, it's all different.
1: Where James? Where can folks go to and, and, you uh, know, down, lot, check out? A lot of
3: spaces are going to be. Sorry, go ahead.
1: No, I was trying to, <laughs> trying to promo your podcast. Where can where should folks go to listen?
3: Oh yeah, the James Altucher show. But I always like coming on. Buck Sexton show. So listen to me
1: here. There we go. James Altucher, everybody. James, thanks so much.
3: Thank you, Buck. Thanks again.
0: You're You're in the Freedom freedom. Hut. This is the Buck Sexton show podcast.
2: I would say that uh, closing schools due to coronavirus uh, is probably the biggest public health blunder in, in modern American history. Um, The fallout in communities that are still chafing under school closures, we have some of the biggest school districts in our country uh, that still do not have in-person instruction. Incidentally, of the top 10 school districts population-wise, five are in Florida. All five uh, offer in-person instruction. Um, uh, But but the the harm from this is going to reverberate in those communities for years and years to come. And the tragedy of all this is that the evidence has been remarkably clear since the spring uh, that closing schools offers virtually nothing in terms of virus mitigation, but imposes huge costs on our kids, on our parents and on our society.
1: An enormous amount of unnecessary suffering thanks to the teachers unions, our hysterical media and The Democrat Party, that is the reality of what school closures have accomplished. That is the reality of what has gone on here. An enormous, an enormous loss from all of this. And you would say, how could they have made such a bad decision? There was never a point. I want to be very clear. There was never a point at which the data suggested that schools were a high risk for children Or that adults were likely to get the virus from children. They never had that data. They just guessed. They just told you. Have you seen the the brilliant public health intellectuals, the blue check MDs out there? Have you seen them explain why they weren't all pointing that out? I I just want to know. They want to tell us now, wear a mask because it's the science. And if you don't say that, they'll throttle you on Facebook. They'll ban you on Twitter, right? That's where we are now as a country. Free speech is almost dead in this country. That's where we really are. But the medical community, the same medical community that was at least willing to come, and when I say the community, I know there's a lot of, there are right-wing doctors who listen to this show, thank God, right? There are people, there are nurses who listen to this show. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the blue check MD mafia that's always on CNN and pointed to in the New York Times and all these people that use their credential to silence everybody else. Where are their apologies on this? They were wrong, flatly, catastrophically wrong on school closures. And many of them knew, and they were cowards, and it's obvious. They knew that schools should be open, but they wouldn't do it. Think about the, the loss of, 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 of development for these kids, the psychological duress. You know, what happens to you as a kid plays out as an adult. Any psychologist will tell you, extreme stress events as a kid sometimes even there can be ptsd that children suffer from and it doesn't really manifest until later on in life and you know kids are at this very fragile stage of development they need to be around their peers so there's that cost and then think of all the parents that have had to not be they haven't been able to go do their job you know the, everyone who writes for vice and slate and the daily beast they're all working remote they're all ordering their DoorDash. you know no big deal they don't have to go in and deal with this stuff. And by the way, a lot of them don't have kids. Just just saying a lot of the journos who are the biggest advocates of the school lockdowns for safety. They don't have children. They don't even know. Uh, but there's no apology forthcoming. And what we see is that Florida is now Sweden where they're showing us, OK, maybe it's not perfect. Obviously, there are a lot of cases. There's a lot of problems there, too. But there's upside you don't have in other places that are doing lockdowns. Right. And what is the
0: downside of the Florida approach? Remains to be seen, doesn't it? Thanks for listening to the Buck and and Show podcast. Podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: You talked about the FISA warrant to to surveil Carter Page and uh, the inspector general. Uh, for the FBI said that that was improper. The lawyer who who, uh, took actually some statements from the CIA and and doctored them has pled guilty to a crime. What about what seems to be the pretty total discrediting of the Steele dossier.
2: Well, uh, as we have said previously, the
3: Steele dossier was not used in any way to uh, undergird the judgments that came out of the intelligence community assessment about the Russian actions in the 2016 election. And so the 20, the Steele dossier was something that I never, you know, looked at from a standpoint of uh, credibility because it wasn't something that the CIA had acquired. And so I think, you know, people point to the Steele dossier as this, you know, reason why the whole thing was a hoax. No, there was so much other evidence and intelligence to support those judgments. So I am very comfortable with how the intelligence community came out on that 2016 election.
1: Brennan, who you will see in a Biden administration in some advisory role, I'm 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 feeling it. They're bringing him back. They want to reward him for being the deep state henchman that he was. Brennan is a filthy, slimy liar. Explain to us, former CIA director Brennan. And, you know, this this uh, is hurts. I I wish the CIA brand wasn't getting so tarnished by these partisan imbeciles, but it is. I mean, CIA is never really going to be the same. You know, there was this period after 9-11 where we realized that we needed to track, hunt and destroy Al Qaeda. And the CIA was essential in that. And now we're seeing once again, it's a lot of. A lot of bureaucrats pushing paper around and whining about the Hatch Act when anybody says, you know, they want to put an American flag over their desk or something. These people are nuts. A lot of lot of left wing loons in the CIA. It's unfortunate. Um, But. What Brennan says is clearly not true. Where is all this? Notice how he says it for this. The Steele dossier is total crap. We know this. This is this is official. This is clear. This is obvious. There's no argument to be had. That was all a lie. It was briefed by the FBI director. The FBI is part of the intelligence community. So when Brennan says the intelligence community looks good on this, no, that's not true. The FBI is part of the intelligence community. It's briefed by the FBI director to the incoming president of the United States. You know, it's essentially the FBI director saying, yeah, you know, nice administration you got. Be ashamed if something happens to it. Better keep me in my job. I can protect you from this. I mean, it's it's like our own FBI chief Basically went to Trump in 2016 with I've got Russian compromat on you. Just FYI. Oh, yeah. So that the president's aware of this to protect himself. Before they did this, the thing was a joke. Nobody was taking it seriously. Oh, but once you brief it, then all of a sudden you've got a whole different situation here because it's been briefed. It's been given the seal of intelligence community credibility that it did not have before. So Brennan is just he's just lying to you. But but this is already I'm telling you, you know, I said this earlier in the show. I'm going to keep hitting this point. They are going to rewrite the whole Russia collusion history. They're going to rewrite the whole thing. You're going to see it's going to be this. Oh, we actually were right all along. The Trump people just lied about it. They hid the truth from us. So get ready for that because we're going to have to keep fighting on this. We're going to have to continue to push back on the lies. China, speaking of enemies, enemy espionage, China is looking to be more and more of a problem for the uh, Democrats, for those of us who are paying attention to what's happening. You have this story in Axios, which is a left-wing publication, that there was a suspected Chinese spy who was targeting politicians... Uh, Between 2011 and 2015, her name was Fang Fang. And Fang Fang was looking for up and up and coming politicians in California to establish close rapport and relationships, perhaps even sexual relationships with to have access to their thinking and to run what is essentially a long term influence operation. Here's the actual Axios report. We'll get into why this. Once again, you know, Diane Feinstein uh, r- reportedly had a had a Chinese spy as her personal driver for years and years and you know, didn't notice anything. But they want to talk to you about Russia. Russia is nowhere near the economic uh, and just just national strat- national strategic threat that China is. Russia is uh a country that really actually could use some help to get on its feet, get things cleaned up. Here's the Axios. Here's the Axios piece. The woman at the center of the operation, a Chinese national named Fang Fang or Christine Fang, targeted up and coming local politicians in the Bay Area and across the country who had the potential to make it big on the national stage through campaign fundraising, extensive networking, personal charisma and romantic or sexual relationships with a couple of Midwestern mayors Fang was able to gain proximity to political power, according to current and former intelligence officials and one former elected official. Although U.S. officials do not believe Fang received or passed on classified information, the case was a big deal because there were some really sensitive people caught up in this network. Private but unclassified information about government officials, their habits, preferences, schedules, social networks, even rumors about them is a form of political intelligence Collecting such information is a key part of what foreign intelligence agencies do. Among the most significant targets of FANG's efforts was Congressman Eric Swalwell. Yeah, the gas passer, Eric Swalwell. He was a huge Russia collusion truther, if you remember. So while he's telling the whole country and has the media magnifying his efforts to focus our attention on Russia while that's happening, uh, Eric Swalwell is the target of a Chinese influence operation, according to this piece in Axios. And I'm, I'm. Look, he's a he's a good target for them. The guy's not very smart, desperate for attention and influence, and he's really a kind of a, a ruthless up and coming Democrat. And this gives you a sense, though, of the long game. You know, if you ever watch the, if you ever watch the show, The Americans, very good show for what it is, very well done. You watch The Americans, you see that the Russians ran these uh, these spies in the U.S. called illegals. And this is known. I mean, now post-Cold War era, we, we, this, a lot of this has been talked about and declassified. They run these illegals and they're deep cover operatives. And this continued past the Cold War. You remember there was that whole network with uh, uh, Anna Chapman and this you know, this pretty redhead who's supposed to get close to these different officials? And it just went to show you the extent to which some of these foreign countries realized that longstanding... Uh, espionage, intelligence and influence operations like that can really bear fruit. And so they will take a very long view. The the Soviets would take a very long view, the Russians. But the Russian influence operations against the United States are a pittance or a joke compared to what the Chinese have had going on for the last 20 years. The Chinese government understands that over the long term, they are our only real nation state competitor, and they seek to supplant us. And they want influence at the top level. They want to be able to steer U.S. foreign policy. And yes, they want to be able to buy people off. Much easier, right? Much better to just have somebody in your pocket. Oh, right. And then there was that whole Joe Biden son, Hunter Biden, running what was effectively... A, an influence operation on behalf of China to his own dad. But the Democrats don't care about that. Democrats have been trained to think China is not a concern because Democrat elites who are ultra wealthy and influential have been benefiting from China personally. Right. They, they as individuals, their companies are wealthier. These are huge markets. Here, here's a perfect example of this. The NBA. You think what could be more American than the NBA? I mean, the whole world now plays basketball, loves basketball as a sport, spectator sport. The NBA should be in a place where they would, uh, you know, be willing to put American interests first. You would think speak up for American values, but no, they won't. Why? Because China, because they need that money. And that means that NBA players and even their social media presence is always filtered through this prism of we need to keep China happy. Well, if that is true of the NBA and it's true of athletes who are making tens of millions of dollars and NBA commissioners and other senior NBA corporate types are making millions and millions of dollars. Uh, what do you think the, what do you think China is able to accomplish with uh, with Google? What do you think China is able to accomplish with uh, other companies that they're they're both making them bend to China's will and this is the other part of it and they are going out of their way to steal from these companies as much as they possibly can. So it's this is what you have to do to do business in China. The companies say, okay, okay, fine, you know, because they want access to that market and they'll steal their intellectual property, the process. But they don't want to complain too much about it because they want that. They want those shares. uh, They want those shares to stay up. They want their corporate compensation packages to be fat. So they don't say very much about it. And we've started to realize in the last five to 10 years the scale and scope of this theft, which is extreme. But how many Democrats do you think have been influenced uh, on behalf of the Chinese Communist Party in this country? You know, we're going to start. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you this. Another another prediction. I got a lot of a lot of visions in my head today that I think are going to come true and, and we'll revisit them as we continue to do this show, because for now, at least the social media companies can try to throttle me. But my and, you know, by the way, you can always also follow me at bucksexton.com if you want to uh, read our stories there. I'm going to have an editorial up tomorrow. I think I'm going to deal with this issue of, of China. Um, so bucksexton.com, And I hope you're making that a, a page where you'll go and download and and listen to the podcast. And we've got a lot of things happening there at the site. Uh, but a- as we continue forward here, what I think you're going to see are the Democrats, because they've focus so much of this attention on Russia and Russia collusion nonsense, the way they can cover up for this going forward, the way they can try to to be, um, you know, try to distract the American public would be to say, well, this is now a new red scare. That the Chinese Communist Party is not really a threat. And and this is exaggerated by Republicans Because if we dig into this deeper, we're going to find out is that China has been buying off Democrats for a very long time and buying off Democrat elites. You know, people that are talking all about climate change. They're doing all kinds of business with China, knowing that Chinese don't give a crap about climate change. Right. I mean, and that's just one example of countless examples. But I'm saying think this through. You'll see. Look at what our policy. It's an amazing. It's really a stunning foreign policy success. The Chinese government has had for the last 20 years. US on a pretty bipartisan basis. Now, now we got to bring the Republicans in here, too, because there are Republicans who need to be looked at for this. There are Republicans who have not been putting American interests first. Uh, the bipartisan foreign policy consensus on China was as they get wealthier, they will be a better partner and player on the world stage. So Let's not make too much noise about the espionage. Let's not have, you know, when they've got dens of spies all across the country, we find out about them occasionally. Let's not get too upset about it. And, you know, let's let them steal a lot of intellectual property from us. Billions and billions of dollars. You know, we don't want to make too much noise about this. Somehow we thought this was going to get better. No one ever answers how. But the belief was that there would be a way that in time the Chinese would, would you know, stop doing this stuff, how much of that was also driven by people who were close friends, business associates, perhaps making introductions, perhaps paying consulting fees for people in the media, in academia, in politics. The infiltration of the CCP into the nodes of power in America has been one of the most uh, underreported and honestly, suppressed critical stories of the last 20 years. And the more we look into this, you're going to see there are Republicans who are certainly caught up in this, too. The Democrats as a party have been bought and paid for by the Chinese Communist Party. That's what we're going to find. And the way they're going to fight against the public coming, to that realization is to say that this is a new red scare and that this is McCarthyism. You're going to hear all these phrases. But it's actually because the truth is that the Democrats are bought and paid for by China. Get ready for that.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
5: You you look at the real challenge on, on the global stage, and that challenge is China. It, it, we are, once again, we've moved into a, a bipolar world, much like Truman faced with Ru- with the Soviet Union and the United States. But the best way to address that is first um, rebuild your alliances uh, and then work together with your allies in the best approach towards China. And there's really no need. While China's a rival, there's no need to make China our enemy. Um, and you can say the same thing with Russia as well. So uh, but, 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 for, but before Joe Biden does that, uh, he obviously has to rebuild America's alliances uh, that's a lesson that certainly uh, Truman uh, still can teach Joe Biden and other presidents in the coming years.
1: Doing doing a great job of making sure that no one really thinks that China is a big problem here. Scarborough over in Morning Joe. I mean that that show is it really is just a, an intellectual sewer. It's intellectual sewer of people who puff up their chests and think that what they say is worthwhile. You got a lot of a lot of rich people, mostly who are in the right place at the right time. Uh, who who show up and they sit on these panels. And what they say is just dumb. And what he's saying here is is just frankly absurd. What what alliances need to be repaired? Notice they just say this. This is a talking point. What what country do we not have a good relationship with because of Trump? I'm going to want to try. Oh, China, the, the only place where we've act, where Trump has really taken an aggressive posture against that country in a way that was a huge departure from the past is the one threat that we have on the, global, on the global stage. And he says, well, we don't have to be enemies with Russia. Really? After pushing the Russia stole an election hysteria for four years, now they're going to pretend that Russia's not really, yeah, I mean, it's, it turns out China's the bigger threat. You don't say. We knew that. But Democrats didn't want to admit it. Democrats thought that they had uh, more, a more important threat. You see, ultimately, what this comes down to is that the Democrats believe the biggest problem for them is not actually China, it's Donald Trump. The biggest problem for America was never the threat from China. They viewed Donald Trump as the bigger threat. And so whatever was necessary uh, in their minds for that agreement, I'm sorry, whatever's necessary uh, for that situation was what they would do. Right? That's that was the plan here. But this is just all blather. There is no dis- oh, Trump's foreign policy was better than Obama's foreign policy by every observable metric you can see, not even close by everything that you can actually point to. It was st- that had impact or any meaning, it was better. And confronting China was a centerpiece of it. You think the Democrats are going to confront China? No, they're going to want to say, What's my cut?
0: Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. What do they want
1: us to do? I want you to start thinking about that question every day. What are we really supposed to do according to the, uh, the COVID? COVID experts right now. What's our response supposed to be? I I think it's just to repeat themselves over and over and for all of us to keep nodding and keep doing what we're doing and then have them tell us that we're not doing enough. That's what I do think is going on here. Here's uh, a doctor on MSNBC making a prediction that I I think MSNBC should be held to account for airing this this uh, this kind of stuff. I, I think people should know they should hear Um, Here he is. Play 11.
6: Look, I think it's important to have that vaccine out there to make people understand that they're not going to have to uh, practice aggressive social distancing uh, in, in perpetuity. Um, this is a this is time limited uh, because vaccines are on the other side, and the problem is people are being incredibly reckless. Still, that people still think that often it's a hoax, or that the the uh, that the deaths from COVID nineteen are due to other causes. So we have to send a clear message to the American people: Look, don't lose your life over the next few weeks. I mean, the numbers are just horrible. We're looking at potentially four or five hundred thousand Americans who will lose their life a week at a week or so after the inauguration, when all we need to do is get them to the other side, get them vaccinated and they'll live a, a, a normal, uh, normal lifespan.
1: Four or five hundred thousand Americans. What is he even talking about? Five hundred thousand people will die a week after the inauguration. Hundreds of thousands are going to die in the next 60 days. He really believes this. I just want you to know this is what is being said again. That hundreds of thousands of people are going to die between now and January. So, you know, six weeks, let's say in the next six weeks, you're going to have a couple hundred thousand people dead. And this is what they say to get you to comply. This is what they say to get you to do what they tell you to do. Here's another guy, Dr. Osterholm. This is one of Biden's advisors on all this stuff. Play thirteen.
4: I think it's fair to say that these are the best of times and the worst of times, the best in times that we can talk Mm -hmm. about vaccine, but the worst in times in terms of what we have ahead of us. Uh, These numbers that you're talking about this morning don't really even reflect the surge that we're going to see from the Thanksgiving Day party cases. They're just starting to come in. And I think that surge is going to really uh, add new cases over the next seven to 10 days. And then that's going to slingshot us into Christmas. And at that point, with a surge upon a surge now going into Christmas, which our initial day Data shows that travel appears to be up again for Christmas. Uh, I think the, the next 6 to 12 weeks are going to be a challenge that it's hard to imagine exactly what it will
1: represent. A surge upon a surge upon a surge. Do they have anything to tell you that you don't already know? Do they have any advice that you haven't heard a million times? Do they revisit their predictions in the past or their advice, their mandates? Forget about advice. Advice is fine. They can give all the advice they want. It's as though, you know, when you go to the doctor and some doctors will tell you you're you know physical, well, you know, you should avoid red meat. And you should avoid butter and you should avoid, you know, they tell you all these things. And you're like, yeah, OK, I mean, sure. Keep everything in moderation and balance. And then you go and you live your life. That's the way this is supposed to work. It's as though American society has been turned on its head. And now it's like you go to the doctor and they're writing out what you're allowed to eat because, you know, you could end up having high cholesterol in 10 years if you don't do what we say. And even if they're theoretically right, that maybe you will have high cholesterol in 10 years, it's still your choice what you eat. It still should be your choice whether you want to go to a restaurant. It should be. It should be a restaurant's choice whether it wants to be open or not during this period. But no, all choice has been removed. The tyranny of the medical experts who, where were they again during school closure? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Apparently they couldn't read that data. Apparently they couldn't know. Oh, no, it's just the Democrat apparatus. The teachers unions wanted to shut down schools so that a bunch of bureaucrats could be lazy and not do anything. That's that's what actually happened. We've, we've seen this. We've run this experiment. We have the results and they are not good for the lockdowners. Un believable unbelievable but here we are um here we are now dealing with this and we have no answers from them we get no clear data that when they say it's all about the data they, they don't tell us what that actually means they just say listen to what i'm saying do what i tell you to do Oh, well, we can listen to joy behar you know she's like really upset you know it's like just hate You know, Trump is like Stalin, mixed with Mao, mixed with another scary, like this guy saw in a movie with a big axe and he's scary and chasing people with it. Trump is all of those things. Play 14.
3: You know, I believe in visuals. I think that... uh Well, you know, Stalin, there's a quotation that's attributed to Stalin, um, something like um, the death of one man is a tragedy. The death of millions is a statistic. I think that people are looking at these numbers and saying, well, it doesn't apply to me or something or it's not going to be that bad. You know, I'll get over it. Um, No, no. We need to see pictures of people on ventilators. We need to see people suffering from this disease, I'm afraid.
1: As, as if we're not terrified enough, Joy Behar's answer is we we need to see everyone. Would you? I'm just wondering, do we do that with other diseases? Do we just have constant video footage of? First of all, think about the privacy of these individuals and the dignity of like them trying to fight for their lives in a hospital. She, she wants to show, she wants to show uh, who's dying here and, and what's happening with this. Does she? Does she care that in any given year there's 60 or 70 thousand people who die from the flu? I mean, I, I'm just wondering. Oh, oh no, it's not the flu. They start yelling. Yeah, but. Do their deaths not we don't see those every. In fact, no one even no one even knows if you ask, you walk around the street before this covid pandemic, you ask people how many people die from flu every year. They probably just said, you know, I don't know, a few thousand. That's like 40 to 80,000, depending on the year. Those people are all dying. It's, you know, they're they're dying of pneumonia. It's on. It's very it's painful. It's scary. It's, you know, death is a reality of our society and you can do this all the time. You can decide that you're going to flood the airwaves, showing that people are dying from any number of different conditions to make a a political point, to make people more terrified. D- does she really believe there's not enough coverage of the covid deaths? I mean, CNN has like a counter up, or at least they did when Trump was running for re-election. It had like it was it was like you're you're watching a, a, a game and they had a scoreboard, but it was the death board. We're all very aware of this. We all know what the number is. Most of the people who are dying from covid are You know, they they leave this out. Half of the people who are dying from covid are dying in senior citizen homes, half across the country is a huge percentage of them. Of those individuals, they are all also at high risk for dying from any number of things because we are all going to die. And when you get to a certain age, your chance of passing is much higher, as we know. This is this is just the, the, the sad reality of all of our lives, my life, your life. We all are going to this other place uh, but it's as though the democrats and this this lockdown mindset is that we we can conquer death or you know if if we just listen to these experts we're all going to live forever or something we're not we're not going to live forever and if someone is 95 and leaving in a senior living in a senior citizen home uh, they they might they could get COVID and die from it and that's sad and that's a loss for their family. They also could die from the flu. They also could have a stroke. They could or or their heart could stop in their sleep. Right. This is this is what is actual medical reality for people that are at that stage of life. But they think the answer is just show us what show us people suffering and then we'll do more masking. It's it's as though they think that we have some answer here. The real and, and the the real way to beat this, the real way to get past this is to take the vaccine. And that's the one thing that Democrats this year for political purposes were undermining. They want to lecture us on how to deal with covid and how to respond to what they want to lecture us with all that. Meanwhile, now we're seeing that there's a, a pretty big percentage of people that say they're not going to take the covid vaccine. I don't know how many of them are at risk in terms of their age. If we got everybody in the country over 60 vaccinated, the death rate would drop into the hundreds you know, per day. It would drop down in, into the hundreds probably on a monthly basis. You know, we'd lose 500, maybe 1,000, maybe 1,500 people a month, which is still sad. But if you got everybody vaccinated who was over 60, you would see the numbers just plummet. But still. I don't know how many people are in that age range who are who are unwilling to get the vaccine. I haven't seen that data yet, but we know that it was undermined by Democrats who were saying you can't trust a vaccine that Trump and Operation Warp Speed are putting forward. They were undermining it. That was reckless. That was wrong. That was a disgraceful, a disgusting thing to do. And they did it. They did it. Did they take any. Any blame for this? No, of course not. It's much easier to just say that Trump is reckless. It's all his fault. And every every death is somehow Trump's fault. Even the deaths that are happening in Europe. Chile has a lockdown in effect. Uh, You've had a lot of people die from this in Argentina. You know, countries all over the world have been struggling with COVID-19. But it's all Trump's fault. This is a psychosis. I mean, this is this is a break with reality that people have had. And what, Joe, Joe Biden's going to do such a better job? All Joe Biden's going to do is do what's going on. All he's going to do is say what's already been said for the last nine months. There's no, there's no difference. Oh, I'm going to put a national mask mandate, and I'm going to do, do, do you know, Yeah, sure. That's going to save all the lives. All you have to do is think for yourself, and you realize that these people who are lecturing you all the time don't know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs>
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. We should always ask
4: if people are being treated fairly and if there's equality in the way we enforce our laws. This is such an important topic. In this case, I want to hear from the law enforcement leaders, the NYPD, the district attorney, etc., on the decision and why it was made, and how it fits with the overall rules of who gets released and who doesn't. But let's be clear, the most important thing is what this guy did, and it was absolutely unacceptable. I'm sure this is a guy who would say he's all in favor of law and order. Uh, And you know he's making a big deal about what's happened with his bar. Well, guess what? Law and order means when the state of New York says your bar needs to be closed, your bar needs to be closed to protect people's health and safety, no excuses. And when you violate the law, there will be consequences. And then if you take an action against a law enforcement officer, there will be even more consequences. So this guy is a hypocrite, and he's about to pay the price for his hypocrisy. You're
1: going to see more of this. Tyrants like de Blasio bloviating here on how you need to suffer the consequences if you don't listen to the state. They forget that the state of New York is still in the United States of America and the Constitution still applies due process equal protection the first amendment the free exercise clause these are all things that the state of new york doesn't get to just say sorry doesn't count anymore really scary pandemic out there and as the supreme court has already ruled in one instance against new york state specifically now as to the allegation here about the the cops and the law enforcement situation here um You can't attack police. You can't attack sheriffs in this. You know, this is to be done in the courts and this is to be done in a legal fashion. Uh, When I say that civil disobedience for some people is going to be the answer, the only answer they have to this tyranny, that doesn't include attacking cops. Obviously, now I also see that the facts here are in dispute. We do still have a presumption of innocence. This is not a situation where he's saying, yeah, this, this bar owner isn't saying from Staten Island, I knew there were cops and I tried to run one over with my car. Right. That's obviously you can't do that. And if you do that, you got you do have to pay the price. That is true. Absolutely. We do believe in law and order. He's saying that they weren't identifying themselves as law enforcement. And he just had two guys who frightened him, who came at him. And he you know, accelerated his car or whatever, and, and and he was trying to get them to get out of the way. We'll, we, we'll dig more into the facts here. Right? We, we do have principles, and one of those principles is, is the respect for the rule of law. Now, you might say, well, how can you say that in civil disobedience? There's obviously a difference between I'm going to operate my restaurant and I'm going to run a cop over with a car, right? This is like saying, you know, th- there's obviously a difference between, you know, uh, jaywalking and you know firebombing a police station; these are not the same thing. Uh, but we'll have to see how the how the facts line up on this one, and we'll continue we'll continue to follow it. But what what concerns me in all of this is that I think you're going to see more and more actions by the state intended uh, intended to well penalize people, to make an example of people, even for the civil disobedience stuff. So they're going to start saying, "Okay, you're going to open your bar. We're going to we're going to come at you with the most punitive fines we can. We're going to we're going to ruin you financially. And and then you can, you know, you can't even post on on social media about this. I'm sure it's going to say post it on Facebook. You can't even do that because they'll shut you down because it's against the the fact checkers. That's that's what's going to end up happening. Uh, one other thing that, that came up, you know, AOC, this, I'm just throwing in some, some stories that I've got on my, on my mind today. AOC has been named the Goya Employee of the Month. The CEO announced this because when she called for a boycott of Goya, <laughs> Goya sales spiked. Oh, that's great. That makes me so happy. That's a good thing. This is, this is uh, important, though, to see this kind of reaction from people. We are, in, we are increasingly, and I think this is becoming obvious to everyone, we're increasingly operating in this world where your every decision, every product you buy, everything you do is political. You don't want it to be necessarily, but it is. And the shows you listen to, the media you consume, the brands you support, these are all going to be broken down along increasingly politicized lines. And so when someone comes under assault for, say, attending a summit with the sitting president as a business leader and saying that he's doing a good job. Every one of you out there who supports that administration, who supports the ideas behind it, whether it's Trump or any other Republican or conservative out there, you have to it it is in your hands. You get to go online and buy the product. You get to call in and make the. So this is why I say we have all these great companies, all these great sponsors on the Buck Sexton show You are supporting us and them when you decide to buy Black Rifle coffee, when you decide to buy gold from the Oxford Gold Group, when you decide to get my pillows from Mike Lindell using our promo code, you are doing you're getting great products and you are voting in support of ideas too. don't ever forget that you're supporting a great entrepreneur like Mike Lindell and you're supporting this show. You know your support. Any any of our sponsors, I mean, I can't name them all now, and I feel like I should. But any of our wonderful sponsors on this show, you know, Axe Tax Resolution, they are supporting conservative media by partnering with us. And so you have. And so Goya is just another example of that. Now they're not a sponsor, but producer Mark, do you think we could Goya as a sponsor? Though? That'd be good. Sure, I'll chase it down. I love I love uh, I love beans and other delicious starchy foods. And I think that they do like cassava and they got a whole bunch of all kinds of stuff, right?
6: Yeah, they have uh, a lot of interesting salsas. They have uh, it's not just Spanish food. I think it's uh, all types of cuisine.
1: I I I gotta say I said the other day that I think that I could put away the most calorically with Chinese food. Not that this is something that I necessarily should be proud of because I should be eating smaller portions, especially with lockdown coming with the gyms. Uh, But it might actually be Mexican food. I think I could probably put away 3,000 calories in nachos without batting an eyelid.
6: Yeah, it really depends what you order. If you order a bunch of appetizers from Chinese, you could do the same thing.
0: Good call. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex, and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, I got a
1: mulligan. I got a story that I I meant to get to earlier in the show. This happens to me. I got so fired up about Chinese spying against the United States. I want to tell you about this because I don't think you're going to see it in many places. Uh, This is in Men's Health, which I think knows about gyms, so this is in their wheelhouse. New study shows how unlikely you are to catch coronavirus at the gym. Researchers analyzed more than 62 million gym visits from 14 European countries and found just 487 infections had been reported by the operators. 62 million gym visits, so you get a, a case ratio of about 0.78 cases for every 100,000 trips to the gym. Okay, your, that means your chance of getting COVID for every time you go to the gym is about one in a hundred thousand. Now, some people go to the gym five times a week, but so let's say you did that. It's 20 then, percentage-wise, based on this European data, you got a, a 20 and 100,000 chance of getting COVID-19 at the gym. Now, we're supposed to believe that COVID at the gym is a, is a big risk, right? Because I have to wear this... Dumb mask when I'm on the treadmill and I got to wear a mask when I'm lifting weights. It's already hard enough because people are out of shape because we haven't been able to go to the gyms. I'm got to mask up all the time inside. Does, does anyone want to dispute this data? This is this seems like it's pretty clear. They've they're looking at, at uh, you know, you're at this data in Europe. It's amazing. The, the, I mean, uh, it's the whole thing is just crazy. The whole thing is just crazy, you know. And um, here we are. I, I mean, you know, why, why can't we just look at what we've actually seen happening? Why can't we see the truth of what's before us? No, we're not allowed to. In fact, if you try to focus on the truth, if you are willing to break with the consensus, you are punished. They will come after you. They will make an example of you. That's the way the game is played now. All right. With that, roll call. Hit it.
0: Team Buck, it's time for roll call.
1: Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton if you want to yet yeah, send us a Facebook message before we get kicked off there forever. Please, if you're not already, also follow me on Parler and even on TikTok. I know you're worried about TikTok, Chinese espionage and all that stuff, but we're just getting on as many platforms as we can because we're getting booted off left and right or throttled or demonetized or whatever. So I want to have as many places as possible. And and also uh, follow my YouTube channel, please. YouTube.com slash Buck Sexton. Uh, we're putting up videos every day now on YouTube. Uh, it's content you can't get elsewhere. So this is how this is how we're going to do it. All the above approach. For those who are saying, Buck, why do you criticize social media and then stay on the platforms? Uh, if I if I were you know fighting the Viet Cong and I got access to a crate of RPGs that belong to them, I'm going to use those in the battle. <laughs> so I'm just saying I, I'm not. You know, I'm going to use the I'm going to use the uh, the opponent's tools against them in whatever way I can, because they're using them against me. So what what benefit am I going to get? They're probably going to kick me off these things entirely at some point in the future. So in the meantime, I'm going to reach as many of you with as much of my ideas and as much of my content as I can. While we figure out while we conservatives figure out what the next move is going to be, because it's it's all out social media war now. You're seeing it. That's what's happening They're They're not even pretending to hide this stuff anymore. And to that, Lynn writes in outsourcing fact checking to uh, independents. They think insulates them from legal liability for censoring you. I've been alarmed by this COVID insanity since March. It is diametrically the opposite of all public policy cost benefit. They refuse to assess cost. Class action lawsuits may work. Yeah, I I think we need to find a way we need to find a means of. Of of raising the, uh, the cost for them of doing this. Otherwise, we just keep using the platforms and they get to do whatever they want and they're able to, I mean, they get away with it, basically. And that's, that's what's happening. So there needs to be a better place. There needs to be, I mean, everybody on the right. You know how I say we need to have a city that we take over and show that conservatives can run a city and do it better than Democrats can? And we could do this. I mean, all it would take is a couple of hundred thousand people who are, you know, real conservatives to move from blue places like California, and New York. And by the way, I, I think this is going I think I'm going to do this it might take me a couple of years, but I think I'm going to do this. This is in my plan now over the next four years. I'm planning to, to relocate. I, I'm not planning to New York City long term. No way. So I have uh, I have already been thinking this one through Um, but yeah I also think that if we have if everybody who consumed conservative media was on a social media platform and used it to uh, talk to each other and also uh, to find content and would go to websites and follow people there uh, we'd we'd at least have a viable alternative and we're building there with these other sites we're building there with parlor and and rumble and we post on those too but in the meantime, you know, we've got to we got to use what we can to slow down this censorship. It's completely out of control. And I got to tell you, there are some people, there's some very large conservatives out there with big followings on social who are very quiet about this, not really taking on the censorship issue very much. Eh, my wonder, wonder, wonder why that is. Justin writes in Buck, I discovered you when I was deployed back in my infantry days. Now I work at UPS. You better believe the Freedom Hut is loud and proud in that rig. I've noticed at the end of your show, before you read questions from listeners, you and Mark go back and forth for a bit. This mini segment with Mark needs a name. That's what I'm here for. The new official name for the unofficial segment on the Buck Sexton Show shall henceforth be referred to as Mark My Words. <laughs> I kind of like that, actually. We, we were, kinda, we were playing, on, uh, pl- uh, playing around with calling it the penalty box. You remember that?
6: Yes, you do call it that occasionally.
1: Yeah, it is go it is sort to of the penalty box, because that's, that's where you call penalties when things need to be called, a, you know. Yeah, penalty. usually I just make fun of you for stuff. Yeah, exactly. So the, he's calling Freedom Hut penalties. Uh, as for Mark My Words, well, I mean, look, Justin's a great American and a patriot, so I think we could try to work that into things. Yeah, sure. We can throw it in here and there. Yeah, we can throw it in here huh. and there. Why not? I like it. I like it. Uh, any any since, since we're in the penalty box for the moment, any uh, any big any big things on Mark's radar this week? Are the the Mets, uh, you know, acquiring a a $300 million pitcher or something?
6: I hope so. Uh, The Major League Baseball winter meetings is usually when a lot of that stuff happens. That's happening virtually uh, right now. So hopefully there's some news this week. Be nice. I'm hoping uh, hockey starts playing too soon. They're ironing out the details on how to play. What is
1: the greatest baseball movie?
6: Huh. A lot of people... We've talked sports movie.
1: We've talked sports movie. Sorry, go ahead. You said baseball movie.
6: Yeah, a lot of people would say Major League just for the humor. Um, Field of Dreams is always there. A more recent one that I really like and I think is important to understand the history of not only baseball but a lot of American history is 42. I don't know if you've seen that. It was with Chadwick Boseman playing Jackie Robinson. Uh, I think it was very well done. Um, Yeah, those are some of my favorites.
1: Okay. What about Bull Durham? I liked Bull Durham.
6: It wasn't I like, being, you know,
1: there's always favorite. this thing with movies, especially, you know, with, with movies that boomers love from the 70s and the and the, you know, the, the 70s and the early 80s where we're all supposed to think they're like people say, oh, the deer hunter is such a great movie. I, c- I can't even get through it. I'm like, what am I watching? What is this? I don't
6: even know what that is.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's got the Christopher Walken, young Christopher Walken in it. I, I think I watched the, the wedding scene. And eventually they're like in Vietnam or something. I don't know. But it's like there's all these movies that people elevate beyond their real value because of sentimental value. Right. I, I think there's a lot of that uh, that that goes on. You know, black and white movies can be cool for what they are. But, you know, acting was very different then, production value is very different then. So I, this is where everyone's going to yell at me. But they're like, you know, it's just I'm just saying.
6: I, I agree. I can't really watch an older black and white movie. I can't uh, I can't get into
1: it. Yeah, I, I wish I could get a little bit more excited about it. All right. Uh, since we've offended uh, lovers of black and white movies, let's get on to our next one here. Um, Al. Oh, great, Buck. Oh, no. Oh, great, Buck. Sorry. <laughs> oh, great, Buck. So the libs in a more obvious way than normal encourage the crisis so they can grow government de- debt dependence and their base of sufferers. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that they are clearly benefiting from making everyone's life, you know, from making everyone more miserable and making things harder. I think that's very real. I think that's going on. So, yeah, that's happening. Not a lot of positive vibes coming from the libs on all this stuff. Greg. Hey, Buck, I have a question. If the Democrats take control of the federal government and do everything we know they would do, Do you think any of the great red state governors will go, uh, will refuse to go along with what they want to do and possibly have a secession Uh, or you? yeah, secession. Just hoping in that case there will be somewhere to go. I'm absolutely terrified of a leftist majority in the federal government. What do you think? Shields high. Um, Greg, I I appreciate your thinking outside the box. No, I I do not. I do not think that will happen. Uh, I do not think that there will be a secession. Um, I think that even if Democrats take control of the federal government, there will be some limitations on what they are are willing to do. Um, It depends on how far they go. Look, if if Manchin, for example, refuses to go along as a Democrat with some of this stuff, if we're at, let's say, a 50-50 and Kamala Harris would be the tie in tiebreaker as the vice president, if Manchin's like, no, I'm not going along with the craziest stuff, that could really slow them down. Now they would put a lot of pressure on Manchin, but remember, he really should probably be a Republican anyway, or at least he's getting closer and closer to it. So I wouldn't I wouldn't fret to that point. And, and no, I don't I don't think we'd have a success a secession success, movement in this country. Um I I just think we need to we need to win the argument and we need to have conservative ideas and ideals represented in government where we can and, and do our best and stay in the fight. You know, we're not a I, I say as conservatives, no matter what happens in a possible Biden administration, we do not abandon our post. I know I make jokes about moving to Nova Scotia or something. People say, Bark, but Canada's so liberal. Yeah, I mean, like off the grid in a cabin in the woods where my friends are Wolverines. And I get like a postcard once once every three months from producer Mark from the beach in Florida. Like that's, you know, that's what I mean by moving to Canada. I'm not saying it's going to be a better government. I'm saying you could find you know, empty space. And maybe you probably could do that in America too, but then you got the federal government to contend with still. So that's what I see happening. Uh, let's see here. Um, Amanda buck. My husband has an upcoming job interview. We went to buy him a suit and had lots of time to make conversation with the tailor and the salesman. We ended up passing the buck to them and a fellow customer. Keep up the good work. Shields high. Amanda, Thank you so much. That's great. Uh, You know, I mentioned before how people can support us by going to our sponsors, but obviously also uh, you help a lot by just telling people about the show. I I can't tell you how many people come across, particularly our podcast, uh, because if they're not already listening on one of our great radio affiliates, uh, you know that's the easiest way to get them to listen. But they come across the podcast and I have people writing in all the time. I actually don't always talk about these messages because I don't want to make this. I'm not about comparing this show with other shows. I mean, I obviously think that I I do the best conservative podcast out there. I mean, That's just the nature of this business. I think that I do this the best for what it is that I'm doing. Uh, It's different than others. People have other strengths and other things that they're doing and where they excel. But I'm saying overall, I love my overall. It's like your children. I love my podcast the most. Uh, But I do have people write in and say, well, I used to listen to so and so. And now as soon as I discovered you, I listen to you. And I mean, look, that makes me very happy. And I think if there were more people who knew, I know if there were more people who knew about the Buck Saxton show, there would be even more listeners. Uh, The the quality of the product speaks for itself, for lack of a better way of putting it. And you don't sound like a Muppet. I do not sound like a Muppet. That is true. I don't I, I don't and I don't even know who producer Mark is talking about producer mark you lock you lock that up producer mark <laughs> you lock it up sir uh, i'm the mean uh, pit bull that you keep locked in a cage yeah, yeah. we we, we get, get get producer mark back He's he's biting people he's biting people i, I like it though we got to have a pit bull though ready to go because some people some people out there in conservative media also they fight a little dirty they're a little mean and they fight dirty and they lie to their audiences i hate
0: that i hate that <laughs> You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
1: Finishing it out with a strong roll call session here. Brad writes, Buck, why is nobody talking about our government overlords crying wolf? They keep hitting us with lockdowns for a 99.9, 99.7% survivable virus. I live in liberal Los Angeles. It really doesn't even seem to be taking the stay at home order seriously anymore. What happens when a real pandemic uh, with a real casualty rate hits after this? Will anyone take any of them seriously? This should be what rests on clown Fauci's shoulders, shields high. Well, Brad, they would tell you that this is, you know, the once in the century. This is as bad as it ever gets. And, and yeah, I mean, I, look, I, I agree with you that there are concerns here over just the, the, the faith that the public can even have in these so-called uh, pandemic you know, health experts. And these are people that we're supposed to be able to trust in all this. Does anyone really think there's been accountability? I mean, has Fauci been held accountable? No, he's he's keeping his job with a Biden administration. He's going to keep his job, this guy? You know, because I've been telling people, you know, the mitigation, the data, look at the numbers and, uh, you know, wash your hands. And we've been here. That's the same thing. We could have taped Fauci in like May what he was saying then, and just played the same thing all the time on all these different shows, that, you know. The numbers could get bad and then they'll get less bad, but then they'll be good, but then they'll be bad again. This is what we always hear from Fauci. I, I, I am not impressed in case you haven't picked up on that already. I, I'm not a Fauciite, Charles writes, So the left wants to send a social worker to a scene where a person with an outstanding warrant is violating a restraining order and brandishing a knife, but then they send armed sheriffs to shut down a peaceful restaurant owner or a Trump election protest. Feels like opposite day. Looks like we live in a banana republic, Buck. I give up, but keep good luck and God bless you, Charles. God bless you too, but don't give up, my friend. That's what shields high means, man. It means that we are all in this together. You look, you look to your left, you look to your right. You have other patriots, other people on Team Buck who are right here with you. We share values, we share beliefs, we share character, honor, culture, and we know that it's coming at us. We know that we're in the fight. Otherwise, you don't. Otherwise, you wouldn't need a shield, right? You can have a. A handful of daisies. No, you got to have your shield up and keep it ready because we are going to have to take some incoming in the weeks and months ahead. We know it. We're in for it now, friends, but we are in it together. Thanks again for listening. Always a privilege and a pleasure. Shields high.